episode 15 of the New Blocks. Today, we're talking DeFi, decentralized finance. We've talked about the term a lot. I'm sure you've heard it many times in this podcast so far, but today we're going to take another step deeper down this rabbit hole, and we're going to talk about some really cool stuff. We're going to talk about replacing CeFi, the centralized financial world, um, some of these new tools that are doing what your bank and some of these other financial uh, institutions have been offering. But first up, welcome back. Been a little break here, Kevin. Glad to be recording again. How are we? How you doing? Doing well. We have been teasing this episode since, I think, episode one. <laughs> we mentioned DeFi. We made it. Uh, yeah, it was time. I feel like in We're the there, last man. few episodes, we've, we've really hit on a few topics that were a bit necessary uh, to make uh, DeFi make a little bit more sense. So we can kind of lean on on previous episodes uh, and and the, the concepts that we've talked about. Um, but before we go there, yeah, I mean, you know, what's been going on in crypto lately? Yes, I mean, we missed the Bitcoin conference. That's old news now. But uh, I wanted to talk about advertising a little bit. You know me, I'm from the esports world. There was a big signing uh, a little while ago, Team Solo Mid, TSM. They've got a number of teams across a number of different games now. They signed a title sponsorship deal with FTX. It's a big exchange. I think they do crypto and various other things. $175 million over 10 years for the naming rights. 17.5 mil per year over a 10-year stretch. That's a big, that, that's big. That I mean, even by esports terms, for like an S-tier org like TSM, uh, that's absolutely massive. Now, it doesn't stop there. Recently announced there was a McGregor fight in the UFC uh, just this past Saturday, and uh, they announced right before that Crypto.com, another crypto exchange, more centralized, but still it's a crypto exchange, 175 mil over 10 years. It's not exactly naming rights in the UFC, but it's big logo. I think all the fighters have to walk out with a UFC shirt that has the logo on the front. It's on their shorts. I think it's on the mat. A lot of premier branding on the UFC. Um I don't know. I, I guess I don't know what the conclusion is here, but we'll have to keep an eye out for the, the next biggest marketing spend. Um, and even in this bear market, man, it seems like crypto's getting plenty of FaceTime. Still a lot of advertising dollars being thrown around despite uh, not being at all-time highs here. Yeah, I think it was the Bankless podcast. Uh, w one of the guys on that said that uh, the most bullish thing for crypto uh, and specifically Ethereum is just to be understood. And I think mm -hmm. what we're seeing with the these huge advertising deals is people starting to come to the realization uh, of sort of the legitimacy of crypto. And, you know, over time, we're just going to become more and more understood. It's yeah, it's a snowball. It's an education so, battle more than anything else. Right. At least right now. Yeah. yeah. Feels that way. And hence the podcast. <laughs> So this episode, uh, similar to some of our, our recent ones, will be pretty visual, so worth watching on YouTube if you can. Um, we'll just be showing off some websites. Uh, overall, I mean, this is going to be a you know thousand-foot overview of DeFi. Uh, we've spoken about DeFi and mentioned it in a few previous episodes, um, and it's just you know large enough where. Uh, a, a single episode talking about DeFi will not really do it justice, but uh, I think it's enough for us to kind of uh, boil down what it is that DeFi is trying to do, how it's attempting to do it, and some of the projects that are uh, in the space right now that seem to be, uh, you know, coming yeah. coming to some amount of uh, of of 
it, of adoption. It reminds me of uh, back when we were in university in the public speaking class. I might have shared this story before in one of the early episodes, but I remember we had to do four speeches over the course of the semester, and one of them was an informative speech, uh, and I wanted to do mine about black holes because I loved ast uh, astronomy at the time. And, uh, you know, I, black holes are cool. People don't know a lot about black holes, but they're really curious to see how they work. Um, but the problem is it's like really complicated and you have to understand a couple of key pieces of physics to get to this end point of how a black hole could theoretically exist. So halfway through you're super lost and it makes no sense. But then when you get to the end, you see how all the dots connect and you go, Oh, okay. All right. All right. Now I'm starting to see what you were talking about. And there's just like no real good starting point. It's just this web of things that all tie together. And that web is the value proposition, and that value proposition is hard to understand until you get the pieces of the web, the nodes, if you will. So that's kind of like DeFi, right? It's this network, this collection of all these different tools, all these different protocols that all come together to make this giant uh, sector that we've been calling decentralized finance. So that, that's why it's taken us 15 episodes to get here, because we had so many building blocks like stable coins and smart contracts and DAOs and all these key pieces that you sort of have to understand, at least at a high level, to really appreciate the stuff we're going to dive into here today. Yeah, and it's worth noting that uh, none of the projects that we'll be talking about are, are what we're, we're not endorsing them. I, I think it's like more of an observation that these are some projects that have gained popularity within this subset of, uh, of, of problems that exist in the space. Uh, I don't know if you can hear the, the thunder that's going on out the window, but um, nice. Yeah, it, it's, it's a uh, uh, oh, I was saying, yeah, I mean, there's, you know, this is like any other new space. This, the, the, the solutions that exist and the implementations that exist um, are, are what they are. They, they may not exist in the future. Um, they may become established players for certain uh, subsets of DeFi, but there's, there's really no way to know. Um, so take everything with a grain of salt. Everything's risky in this. Um, Always, baby. Hit me with some definitions, though. I know you, Kevin. You're a yeah. textbook kind of guy. I've caught you studying textbook. a time or two on a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, what do we got? Hit me with some definitions to get us started. Yeah, this is a throwback to episode one. We started talking about CFI and DeFi way back. And uh, CFI means centralized finance. It exists in, you know, it, it is what our current understanding is of finance outside of crypto. So it's all of the institutions, uh, all of the, like from both the government, government, government perspective, uh, as well as financial institutions, banks, um, and sort of the, the, the ecosystem that has been created uh, up until crypto. And then with the inception of Bitcoin, with the inception of the blockchain uh, and Ethereum to kind of enable all of this other growth on top of it, we have DeFi, which is the decentralized financial system. Mm -hmm. uh, and the, the main differentiator here is, uh, you know, uh, well, before I talk about the differentiator, another term that you'll likely hear uh, in this is fintech. I think if if you um, are into, yeah. you know, like That's the just Robin financial Hoods. tech, right? That's that yeah. one threw me for a loop the first time I saw it. When I see Finn, I think finished because it's like meme wise. That's how we've ended broadcasts. You just write Finn at the end, and uh, yeah. you know, so like it. Yeah, that's just fancy lingo for financial technology. 
Yeah, and it's specifically like the subset of CFI that is um, kind of like building newer, better front ends on top of the existing CFI uh, mm-hmm. centralized financial system. So it's like uh, you know the Squares, the Robinhood, Venmo, Stripe, Plaid. Gotcha. Uh, these are sort of examples of like trying to make better user experiences, but just built on top of still the existing infrastructure. Um, Same back end, uh, better front end. Yes, exactly. Whereas with DeFi, it just completely scraps the entire back end. Uh, we have entirely new monies. We have entirely new uh, like payment rails, and and the blockchain has kind of enabled all of this. Um, and so it's really the goal of DeFi to kind of like initially we, we need to rebuild and recreate all of the existing uh, pieces for DeFi. What are sorry of CFI? Right. Um, because, you know, with just Bitcoin, you have, you know, per- permissionless open money, but like, that's really only such a small subset of banking. Uh, it, it really, uh, it kind of leaves a lot left interest, on the table. All these other like kind of basic like savings accounts, all these basic things we kind of take for granted that are just built into our daily lives, you know, debit card, right? That's a credit card. These are basic, basic financial services that are a plenty in CFI, but are still rare or being developed in some cases uh, in the case of DeFi. So it's like where we have to rebuild the back end. That means you also have to kind of scrap the front end a little bit because you have to find new ways to connect with this new back end. And it's just uh, you know, a b- bit of a different nut to crack. So it has to be rebuilt from the ground up uh, all the way through. Yeah, and with that, we get all the benefits that we've really been talking about throughout this entire series. Um, but I think this would be a good point to look at sort of the comparison between centralized finance and decentralized finance. So um, a bit to digest yeah, here, and we're going to come back to this a couple of times. But basically, what we're looking at with this chart uh, is a, a side-to-side comparison, almost like a pros and cons list, if you will. Um, centralized finance versus decentralized finance. And then these basic categories on the left side, just talking about um, some examples of what these things can be. So at a very high level, we've got money, right? That's just dollars, euros, pounds, sterling, that kind of stuff. And in uh, decentralized finance, that's DAI, that's Ether. Uh, Ample Forth is what's listed on here. I'm not as familiar with that one. I'd Uh, personally take that one off if I were (laughs) making this image. Uh, Yeah, it's it was um, we mentioned that one in the stable coins episode, and it was one of the kind of like strange. uh, Yeah, that's better. Nice. Um, But there's a lot. Uh, There's a lot of other I think pretty much the whole stable coins episode can fall into this. But um, in a sense, Ether uh, is kind of an important one to hit on here because We've talked about Ether in the Ethereum episode as the gas that we use to pay for transactions in DeFi and on the Ethereum network. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a sense, that in that way, uh, Ether is the medium of exchange. Ether is the, the store of value when you're uh, interacting with, with DeFi. Uh, but yeah, next we have uh, central banking. And so... Uh, we're going to talk about each different type of banking. These are all the, the different subsets. When we think about banking, you you know, normally we're thinking about like going down to the local commercial bank, but there's other parts of banking. Um, so Federal with central Reserve, banking, baby, that's what it's all about. Yes. Hit me with the yes. Fed. 
you got your traditional closed door uh, governance systems uh, that we have, and every country has their own version of it. Uh, we have over in the U.S., we've got the Fed, and um, you know the role here is to make the decisions for the monetary system, mm-hmm. um, and it's generally just a select few, oftentimes unelected, as is in our case. Um, and these people sort of work with the government, um, in some capacity and, um, they are in charge of, you know, turning the, the dials, um, uh, changing the, the issuance rates. Uh, and in DeFi, we have this open public alternative. Uh, we have, uh, alternatives, plural actually. Uh, and we've discussed this a bit in the, um, in the stable coins episode, but we talked about maker. Um, another one here is uh, M stable. It's just another stable coin that kind of works similarly. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can think of these protocols as these like open public alternatives to the kind of closed door systems that had existed previously. Um, and with, with the stable coins that we've talked about so far, we're talking about mirroring us dollar, um, with the case of die with the case of M stable, um, but that doesn't always have to be the case. We can yeah. have you know new governance protocols for new tokens. Well, I think Dai is one of the best or closest to like a one to one to the Fed in terms of a decentralized version um, because it has a very clear, transparent like collateralization strategy. Right, fifty percent. It's it's transparent. We know what it is. It's like very safe. It's not super 150. efficient. One hundred fifty. Yeah, it's plus fifty. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Good correction. Good correction. Um, And in the case of the Federal Reserve, it's much more of a black box, right? Like they change interest rates, they move some things around. We get some information, but um, it's just a totally different. There's a couple people that get to decide what it does. uh, And we're sort of just along for the ride, right? Um, But in terms of how it functions, it's that backbone that uh, backs that currency, if you will, right? MakerDAO essentially backs DAI algorithmically but in terms of the analogy they're they're kind of the backers in air quotes there am i right yeah 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 and and it's it's the fact that what makes it interesting is the fact that it is this open public alternative where you can go um go into the maker forums you can you know make proposals make proposals for any sorts of changes and uh people that hold the mkr token can vote on them um and you don't have to be an, an unelected member of the elite uh, in order to be involved in that process and mm-hmm. that's really the case for all of these yeah so up next we've got commercial banking right this next layer below the central banking um and this is closer to the stuff that we we recognize in our our daily banking lives right like consumer facing stuff like a bank of america you know wells fargo where you get your credit from your mortgage your savings account your checking account um your your kind of traditional cfi like typical banking services right yeah, and it's their job to, for the most part, like, right, we're boiling all of this down, uh, but they'll take money uh, from uh, their customers and, and they'll um, lend them out to businesses or, or you know, personal loans. Um, and in the process, they'll uh, earn a percentage interest that the uh, borrower will need to take. Um, and then they'll pay back a small portion of that interest back to the original uh, owner of that money. Um, and in DeFi, uh, same concept applies, right? So we have this idea of um, you can have lenders and borrowers. And 
what DeFi does differently is that we don't need a middleman to remove value from this in the process. We can simply lend that money directly and in more of a peer-to-peer -peer way, uh, receive interest back on it. Um, so I think we're, we'll talk about a few, um, uh, or sorry, we'll, we'll talk in detail about Aave, but you know, other ones, uh, Compound was kind of the first lending and borrowing protocol. Um, and in a sense, they're sort of like taking on this role of, of the commercial banking portion of, mm -hmm. of the financial system. Well, and this model for the CFI banks used to work pretty well. You know, the, the rates used to be a lot different. The, the interest rates that like our parents got, for example, or even uh, like I guess our grandparents got way better value proposition. I, I guess, um, you know, a little history lesson, right? We had that big banking crash, the old Great Depression there. So we had a, a little bit of a tough history with the banks. Could you imagine if we could talk to our, I guess, great grandparents for the most part that lived through the depression about the wonders of DeFi and Bitcoin and Ethereum? I mean, that would be speaking their language, right? That's why they were stuffing money under their mattresses and in the basements and burying it in the backyard because they legitimately thought that was safer than banks you couldn't trust. But then after we restructured some things, um, you made an okay little bit of interest in your savings account. Nowadays, you're lucky to get like 0.1%. Is it quarterly? I, I guess it's probably better than yearly. Yeah, usually like it's yearly. Yeah. 0.1% yearly is, I mean, that that's basically zero. It's almost nothing. Yeah. Especially uh, after inflation, right? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, if you pull up the Ave uh, website, we can look at some examples yeah, let's here. Do it. Um, but you know, yeah. So we're looking at the total value locked in Ave, which is so now absurd. Sixteen point four billion for those of you listening. Yep. Um, the yep. liquidity <laughs> protocol uh, Ave, as it's listed here, is an open source and non-custodial liquidity pool for earning interest on deposits and borrowing assets. Yeah, and and what is different in this case uh, is we're seeing all these different assets. So you can l lend more than just USD. You can lend, uh, in our case, you know, Dai. We see Gemini Dollar, USDC, USDT, Wrapped Ether. We, we've got a bunch here, and each one individually has different interest rates. So you know, you have your 0.1% interest that you're earning over in your CFI bank, but if you convert that over to Dai or USDC. Uh, you could right now be earning somewhere between it was like two and four percent, um, and you know it's yeah. Let's see. So for the uh, deposit percentage there, if you zoom in just a little, for which one die two point two? Yeah, yeah. There you go. Or Gemini dollars like four point seven. So that's essentially uh, you are lending that out and earning that percent interest in the process. Um, and the people that are borrowing that money, uh, they have to additionally put up collateral uh, and pay a fee of, for that interest. So uh, all of these loans are over collateralized, meaning that the borrower needs to lock away their own money in the process. Additionally, they, they may choose to lock away a different asset. They might you know, have a bunch of ether, they might need to borrow some die. And in the process, um, they, they'll lock away a similar, I, I don't know what the ratio is with Aave. It may be again, like 150% or something like that. But um, yeah, the idea here is that uh, unlike the existing financial system where we have these kind of like closed door, uh, opaque to all 
um, institutions that yeah. act for others that you don't really know like what percentage of collateral is owned by whom. Um, this is entirely an alternative that is just open and you can visually see on the blockchain uh, who is borrowing what and how much and Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you take away the the middleman in the process, there's there's a bit left of the pie uh, for people to earn more interest. You know, that was the key thing for me. I remember when you and I first started talking about this podcast. I think you asked me if I understood DeFi, and I think I said something really stupid, like, "I think I heard of it, but I saw big numbers and thought that must not be real." scam alert and then didn't dig deeper <laughs> and i think you made exactly that face and had exactly that chuckle of like yeah you don't know how often i hear yeah. that man hopefully you'll come to the good side and then i did dig yeah. a little deeper and it all started to connect but that was the key missing piece that i didn't have when i first saw DeFi. I was like well where's all that money go it's the fat in the middle that are the centralized banks you know like when you go into the bank and there's all those people sitting behind the counter and they're just kind of sitting there and you walk up and they go oh yeah we do stuff here yeah they're all getting paid to sit there man that building that they're in costs a lot of money all that infrastructure all those managers all those people that have to talk on the phone to decide whether you're worthy for a loan that all takes time that all takes money if you cut all of that out and just put it into a protocol and some code and uh, everybody's happy with their little small percentages in comparison dude we're cooking with gas and guess where that money goes mostly into the hands of the people that are using the system, a.k.a. the consumers. And that's why the rates are so much higher. It's not a scam. It's just a similar spread of resources spread in a much better way. It's Uber versus Lyft. One gives all the money to the corporation. One gives better money to their drivers. Up to you to decide which one. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's 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 a good summary. I think uh, that's that's the struggle that I that I have when it comes to talking about DeFi to people that haven't taken the time yet to learn about it because it, you, you know, you talk about, you know, earning 10% interest on, on USD t- uh, pegged stable coins for the last year. And it's like, all right, well, where's, where's the scam in that? Like where, who's pulling the rug out? Um, and it's like, you know, when you, when you make things more efficient, that's that's this is what happens like this yeah. is this is how it works so all right well moving down the ladder here uh investment banking that's the the next piece and to go back to our, our sacred image uh we've got investment banking here uh, goldman sachs jp morgan whatever that little blue logo is uh, on the cfi side uh, and then we've got like synthetics uh uma dydx uh, i'm not as familiar with those kevin uh but, yeah yeah there so, you go the uh, think of investment banking uh, it's kind of like a, a financial intermediary that performs various financial services with the the general intention of of increasing the the client's funds through investments like that's it, basically they're they're taking people's money and investing them and giving them tools in order to 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 invest them um, and if we look at synthetics as one example here um, there's a few different tools that they use uh, in order to uh, allow people to invest in different assets. Um, and in Synthetic's case, they have what are called synths. Um, and synths are just, you know, pegged versions of coins. In this case, we're looking at the um, USDS. Uh, so any of these uh, currencies that you'll find that start with S, like SUSD or S Euro, that's the that's synthetic, synthetic version of these assets. So you've got. 
um, you know, a bunch of different uh, stable coins that are pegged to different fiats. We have uh, XAU, which I believe is their gold peg. Um, I think they've got like oil. If they've got, um, I think they're getting into, yeah, oil. They've got pegged Bitcoin on Ethereum. They've got pegged Tron link. So these um, are kind of like wrapped coins, similar concept. It's like similar a, concept. Like wrapped yep. Litecoin, I see here, but it's a, instead of a W, it's an S. So it's a, a synth Litecoin. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And uh, I think between this and additionally, there's another protocol, Mirror, that gets more into pegging for stocks. Um, I think Synthetics has a couple of them. But um, you think about this decentralized financial system um, and the more capability that it gives to people that don't live in the United States, um, the better off we will be as kind of a whole. So mm -hmm. right now, living in the United States, we have access to, you know, use apps like Robinhood and we can go buy exposure to whatever company that we believe in and, and think will do well over time. And that's kind of a luxury that we mm -hmm. just have and we were born into this system. Um, and if you make this, these like synthetic alternatives to these assets, then you can give other people that don't typically have this exposure access, um, give them the ability to, to have sort of the same investment, uh, capability. I've had that so conversation yeah. so many times with so many people. It is a privilege to be able to say, why do we need another currency? Mine works just fine. Good for you. <laughs> Congratulations. You're in a great spot. Congrats. We're all really happy for you. But a lot of people not in that spot. Uh, and even in, in country like I've, I've heard in Russia, very hard to get a line of credit for an average citizen. Uh, the credit system yes. is completely inverted from what we experience uh, in the United States here, where you turn 18, you just you register to vote, you get credit card offers in the mail the next day that don't make any sense for crazy amounts of money you can't afford to pay back. In Russia, it's the opposite. You have all this money in the bank and a great job, and there's still uh, crazy skepticism about trusting people with credit lines. Um, so yeah, access is huge. It's, it's a big part yeah. of this global economy. Um, so, and similar to investment banking, right? Exchanges, that, that's a way that consumers are able to buy and trade stocks in, in the uh, CFI world, like the New York Stock Exchange. Uh, and in the DeFi world, we've covered this one, you know, stuff like Uniswap, these DEXs, decentralized exchanges, uh, they're huge. The automated market makers, they, they've made um, kind of this whole thing possible, like SushiSwap. How many tokens have I bought that I otherwise wouldn't have had access to? But thanks to old Sushi, swap in some ETH and you're good to go, baby. You're loaded up. Yeah, and and I think what's what's cool. I mean, we did. Yeah, you mentioned we did the whole episode on on exchanges, uh, on dexes and AMMs. Uh, but the these decentralized versions of them, um, they benefit from the same properties that the internet benefits from. When I create a cryptocurrency, uh, or when I create a website, when I do it with the open public version of the internet, I can just build a website. I don't need to ask for permission. I don't need to, uh, you know, go find some, the central arbiter of the internet to tell me what I can and can't do. I can just build a website. Um, similarly with crypto and decentralized exchanges, you, I can just create a crypto, list it on a DEX, and that's it. Um, whereas you look at the kind of centralized alternatives like the Coinbase's of the world, um, and the Gemini's, and you start to go down uh, like the how much a, a 
a centralized exchange is going to charge. Uh, I, I was hearing it, the Charles Hoskinson interview, uh, I think with Lex Friedman, talk about how, I forget what exchange it was, but it, they were going to charge him like $14 million to go list on like Gemini or something like that, <laughs> just to list uh, the Cardano ADA token. Yeah, But it's like, you know, Uniswap, you just go click a couple buttons and your token's there yeah well and you um, have the power you can put just if you have the token you can throw up a liquidity pool so if you you can control the launch yourself if you're you know one of the co-founders of of the coin and have like a, a treasury or something that's you know set up for that kind of thing um yeah yeah totally and then an, another step like e each level here i can see where they're related but a little bit different uh, we've got brokerages up next. And at first, I thought to myself, well, how's a brokerage different from an exchange? Uh, but in the CFI world, there are things that I've used before. This is where Robinhood fits into the stack, right? I haven't used it, but I keep getting ads for eToro. I guess that's another one here in this stack that um, is considered a brokerage rather than an exchange in CFI. Yeah, and again, it's it's like kind of similar. A lot of these have have kind of overlapping properties, but it's it's again providing investment vehicles and ways to put your money to work. Um, so we'll look at one example in DeFi. Um, I think in the list there was like Zapper, Zerion, and I, I would even add like Instadap to that list. Uh, but let's take a look at Zapper. Um, Zapper is essentially, you can think of this as like a DeFi dashboard because all of these protocols that we're talking about, we, we see synthetics there, Aave, uh, we'll talk about urine shortly. Um, because all of these are on an open public blockchain uh, and the smart contracts are really the, the source of truth for each of these protocols, you don't have to go to every individual DeFi website to interact with these. If you like click on Yearn there, um, then it shows like this, we're looking at a test uh, account, this is the DeFi portal.eth. Um, and it's showing us all of the different places that this test account has money on. And so like in the case of, uh, you know, like pull together it's like an open lottery thing and so we, we see that there's like x amount of money in there but you can actually interact with all of these protocols directly from zapper um, because they just tie directly into the smart contracts and so like the ui is yeah. this sort of like abstraction that exists and and kind of like you can, that's why i call this kind of like this overall DeFi dashboard gotcha okay and that makes sense Which, it's like instead of having like a smart contract is kind of like a, an API in a lot of ways, right? So you can just build yeah. this this uh, front end layer on top of the world computer back end that is uh, this Ethereum network. It's all starting would, to make sense, man. I would liken this to a world where you could have something like a Mint or a You Need a Budget or one of these other apps in in legacy finance where. You can sign into a bunch of accounts and it, it can like pull balances. It's like read only. Um, in this world, like you don't have to sign into anything else. You don't have to like manually plug in all these different uh, off, off <laughs> accounts. You just like you, you signed in when you set MetaMask to have your private key in there. And like now you're just interacting with the Internet and it knows where all of your money is and you can yeah. interact with it from whatever website you want. I have I know we both have some personal friends like this, but I have a, a close friend, let's say um, that I've been they're very experienced in CFI. I've been trying to sell them on DeFi for 
going on a year now and they're just so hesitant so risk averse and you know like they have some ethereum on coinbase and it just sits there and that's like the extent of the risk that they're willing to assume and i keep trying to encourage them that same thing i tell everyone else take a hundred dollars put it in a protocol and just play around with it it's not about making money you might lose that hundred dollars yes it's going to cost you in some gas fees but you can really see how it works and what you're describing was exactly one of his fears that i i couldn't find a way to explain how irrational it was based on the system is set up. He said, I don't want to have to set up accounts with everything. And then everything like those are all security risk points with my wallet. It's like, yes and no. It doesn't just have unlimited access. Like in a lot of these protocols, you have to first sign a thing that says, okay, you can access this token. Okay, now you can access the second token. Okay, now you can access these tokens in a pair. Okay, now I'm going to put them into this. Like you don't just... It, it's so built completely different that a lot of those classic security risk points of linking all your accounts together, it just doesn't exist in this world. There are some security risk points, but you're, you're trying to transpose C5 framework onto the D5 framework, and it's a, it's a round peg in a square hole. It just doesn't, it doesn't compute the way you think it does until you use it and you go, oh, okay, all right, this is really that granular when it comes to security and who's allowed to have what access to what aspect of my wallet. You, you can really control it to a, a, a fairly strong degree, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Yeah, and I have friends like that too. I, I think it's, um, I, I've come to terms with the fact that like, you know, I am definitely in the bucket of early adopters when it yeah. comes to most technology. Like I have my HTC Vive back there because I was like, oh, my God, first consumer VR headset. Like I need this. Um, yeah. And now it's like, you know, light years behind all the new ones. But uh, yeah, not everyone is a first adopter and that's OK. Um, but, you know, it it becomes a situation where if you're going to like sit on the sidelines and like, uh you know, yeah, what you said. Like, you're in up to your ankles the... and you're wearing jeans, dude. <laughs> your pants are wet already. Just dive in, dude. Come on, you're already yeah. wet. Just start doing the backstroke. Have some fun. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it, you know, it takes a little bit of work. That's why we're, we're here trying to help spoon yeah. feed what we can. But at the end of the day, if you want to get into this, you got to get into it and you, you kind of need to get your hands dirty. Yeah, but uh, again, talk about insurance. Small amounts. Yeah, speaking of small amounts, dude, crypto insurance. How the hell does this work, man? Yeah, I mean, you know, as a whole, general hedge against the risk of uncertainty. Uh, so whether that's in CFI, you have things like Geico, Farmers, Allstate, etc. cetera. Uh, or in DeFi, you have uh, these protocols like Cover, Nexus Mutual, uh, Yearn. I would put that actually in a different bucket. Yeah, we'll talk I about that wouldn't at the end. wouldn't qualify them as insurance. All right, well. Um, <laughs> but uh, in each of these cases, um, you know, Nexus Mutual is an example where we have like general smart contract insurance. So if you want to put, you know, six figures into a protocol and like that's, uh, money that you would be pretty upset losing, then you can go ahead and before you put it directly in that protocol, run it through Nexus Mutual, take insurance off uh, and, and pay a very small fraction of it for that insurance. Um, and, you know, like everything else, no extractive third parties need to take a cut here. This is the community insuring uh, itself against risk in various forms. That's Another one we're going to talk about here is cover. Um, and cover is a little bit more, I think it has a longer term vision of, of being able to eventually kind of cover more than just smart contract, uh, risk. 
and so I think uh Kevin it's limitless and it's got a fungible cover I mean come on man it's well, market efficient go. and there's no KYC I mean I don't know what no any of that is but <laughs> bruh I mean hook me up cover me dude yeah are you exactly. covered dude this branding I, is top tier I I don't know if covers uh, legit, yeah, but they're slaying it in the branding department I I love yep. this the, and, uh, I mean, and they've got DeFi Ted on the team, so that's how well, you know. I'm a fan of Crypto uh, Cucumber, personally. Uh, but don't forget <laughs> Kiwi. Yep, sweet. And they've got uh, a claim validity committee. Oh, that's cool. Oh, that's neat. So, yes, again. I'm uh, sorry. I'm so jaded about audits, no. though. The, the last couple rug pulls that I've seen, like, all of them were audited. All of them had this, like, you know, yeah. stupid, look how secure we are. Oh, I know we posted the wrong pictures on our personnel. Oh, it wasn't malicious, I swear. Ah, bullshit. If you got real founders, you're going to show their faces. And if you don't, you don't. I, I'm sorry. I'm just a little... Yeah. And, I, I'm a little jaded on that because I interact with the nons a lot now with Axie stuff. And yeah. I'm so far out, I could never be in a non on the internet. And I've just embraced it as kind of an influencer. And I understand why people don't want that for, for themselves, but... I think sometimes I get a little jealous that I don't even have that option anymore, man. I did not plan ahead. I did not ice frog my life the way I should have. Ah. Well, yeah. No, I think... Uh, I mean, is your name DeFi even Kevin? Work. I don't know. Who's to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. I, 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 in DeFi, it, uh, it is a phenomenon that is occurring, and it is a double-edged sword. I think we see it so often in headlines about protocols that either get hacked or someone rug pulls uh and yeah you know the anonymous co the the anonymous founder gets away scot-free uh and that these are things you need to be worried about like again yeah i, I don't know anything about cover uh, aside from like the general gist of what they're trying to do but mm -hmm. um yeah i i generally look at anonymous founders as potentially being risky uh, but then you look over at something like you know satoshi nakamoto was an anonymous founder for bitcoin um and it's not always the bad there are some george washington types out there that have the yeah. power and realize that the play is to hand the power over but i yeah. i think they're unicorns i think like this nakamoto person or group of people that's like a unicorn. They very yeah. easily could have bad actored that thing and ruined it for everyone. But they were humble enough to be committed to the broader vision. I mean, at least that's how I see it. I'm, I'm a Bitcoin mini these days, but I'm a Bitcoin maxi in terms of what it did to disrupt an industry in 2010. Right? Yeah. Totally. Um, anyway, sorry to hijack yeah. that, but no, no worries. Uh, yeah. So I think the final segment of the. Uh, or maybe there's two more here. Uh, payments. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the the actual rails, moving money from point A to point B, facilitating the flow of money through the financial system. And that's In like CFI, PayPal, right? Yeah. Yeah, we've got, you know, Venmo, Square, Stripe, and really under the hood, uh, what's happening in, in these cases are the same they're, they're using the same technology that has existed for decades. We have things like wire transfers and ACH, and like that's... That's what moves money. Uh, we, we might have an app like Venmo where it appears instant and, you know, maybe access to that money is like unlocked on the other side. But when it comes to like actually moving the money around under the hood, that whenever you're switching between banks, when you need to like actually move the money around under the hood, mm -hmm. you're talking about your your five to seven workday. Well, Coinbase does it day. too. You see that they'll say yeah. like available for instant 
um, like purchase power, but you can't withdraw it for six days. That's because they're yeah. waiting for the ACH to clear to cover your account to say, hey, we actually got the money. Now you can withdraw it and do other stuff with it. Until we actually get that ACH transfer, yeah, you, you can play around with it in our system, but it stays in our system and you can't take it out till we're made whole. So they're sort yeah. of giving you a little like interest-free loan there. And I, I think in some ways, maybe I'm wrong, but I think we kind of have Robinhood to thank for that in some ways. And at least in my experience, they were the first ones that would do that instant deposit for like when I just basically installed the app and they said, yeah, your credit score is not terrible. Go knock yourself out. We'll give you 2x buying power, man. We don't care. Just pay us $9 <laughs> a month and we'll crank you up with all this leverage and man, go buck wild. We yep. got your as bank info. Can, yeah. yeah, as long as they got your bank info, as long as they have the, the ties to the legal system, so they're like, not worried. That stuff's a little scary, but it does break it open in terms of, you know, that set the stage for the rest of the industry to kind of follow suit. And now we have like these Venmo apps that we kind of take for granted that have a great front end. But man, are they doing some heavy lifting for a, a dumpy CFI back end? Yeah, exactly. And they're, the problem is that they're always going to be tied to those dumpy CFI backends because ACH is not, you can't improve this automated clearinghouse network that uh, has been around for however long, a decade or so. It's kind of like decades. trying to turn like train tracks into a road. They're both means of transportation, yeah. but they just don't really convert one to one. You can't recycle the ties to turn into asphalt. You just need to build new infrastructure. Sorry. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's that's where um, I think Metamask? Uh, this, is, this is a funny area that gets into. Uh, yeah, we so the the uh, I was just gonna say um, the problem that um, I, I had this conversation recently with a friend where uh, we were talking about like what problems does crypto solve and. Um, it wasn't so much the problem of the the underlying speed of the centralized financial system that like needed to be solved because we did have these things like Venmo that kind of like smoothed out the the rough edges and kind of make it made it uh, appear better uh, at least for the end user. But um, in the process of completely scrapping the previous financial system, now we can build it in a way that works near instantly and you know settlement is like guaranteed by the blockchain and um it was sort of this like kind of side effect that came with scrapping the the previous system that like oh yeah now when you like hit send it actually sends and there's not like this weird you know asynchronous old process that goes through like four companies uh to to actually move that under the hood mm -hmm. so part of the payment rails uh, you think of the um in DeFi uh is like the wallet apps uh, are kind of like the the alternatives here to the the paypals and the venmos so metamask is by far the largest and most popular wallet app this is the og um, i don't know if they were actually yeah. the first one but they were the first one to start getting mainstream adoption and uh, even during like ICO boom in 2018, um, like way back then, MetaMask was the gold standard. Like when we were developing crypto geodes and these ridiculous projects um, in the Zyori house, yeah, we were all about MetaMask. That was your login. That was your interface to be able to interact in our little game uh, universe at all. And they've just continued to yep. scale from there. And there's been some clones now. Some of the exchanges have, I think, created some similar kind of browser plug-in style wallets that are really convenient. Um, I, I remember feeling, and look, here you go. There's Axie Infinity listed right there. OpenSea, uh -huh. Uniswap. 
a lot of the lot of the big boys heavily rely on MetaMask to make the magic yeah. happen. So I mean, it's it it supports at this point every major browser, hardware wallets, iOS, Android apps, um, and you know even spanning outside of Ethereum to support uh, EVM Ethereum virtual machine compatible networks like Polygon, Binance Smart Chain. Um, and and really any EVM compatible network it, that comes. It's the um, blockchain version of of PayPal for sure. Like that idea where you give PayPal your credit card and then you PayPal talks to all the other websites that you want to buy stuff from, so you don't have to give everybody your credit card info. MetaMask is a little bit like that. It's not one to one because your address is your address, but in the example of having a hardware wallet, you can connect it to MetaMask and then MetaMask interfaces with websites and apps and whatever else. But MetaMask doesn't have your keys. MetaMask doesn't have your crypto. Your crypto is on your wallet, and MetaMask is just like a terminal, sort of an interface to talk to other stuff. So it, yeah. uh, I think of it, it like a condo for my wallet to go interface with the rest of the internet. I don't know if that's a proper analogy, but it makes me yeah. laugh, Kevin. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It creates the transactions for you. It signs them, allows you to press a little button that mm -hmm. creates the signature that is tied to your uh, public address and therefore is like provably only you and your wallet can do this. Um, and then it submits that to the Ethereum blockchain. So... Mm -hmm. Not as not as fun as a, a condom for the internet, but you know, same difference. You're still protected, Kevin. That's the deal. That's all <laughs> I heard. Important. You're protected. Yeah. <laughs> um, another one. So, there, so like most of these wallets work very similarly. Like um, the, it, some different ones, though, are Dharma. This is an example of one where you sign in with your bank account, and then it sort of like instead of putting the wrapper, the condom around your browser, it has its own. Uh, you know, it has its own interface that allows you to go directly from your bank account to hit a couple specific protocols, things like Compound, Yearn, mm. um, Ave, and I guess they're adding That's newer cool. protocols over time. But yeah, so that way uh, you don't have to necessarily go through the act of like learning about uh, MetaMask, going to learn, going to the Yearn's website, Ave's website. And there's sort of like a cohesive uh, user experience that you don't have to to wow. know a ton to, to be able to interact with. Look at that. That's uh, that's crafty. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. And then the honorable mention here that we talked about as well in the, oh, um, yeah. in the, to the episode was Argent. Yeah. And I like that one because it's, um, it, it's playing just around like their with website. The, Don't lie. It's their website. That's basically the only reason why I like it. It's, the words are so, the font is big, right? I can own, own it every part of my life, Kevin. I've been slaying it for the last five years, and now I'm going to start owning it. Finally. Finally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so it plays around this idea of social recovery wallets. Um, and there's a quote here, yeah, from Vitalik Buterin that says, we need wide adoption of social recovery wallets. <laughs> and it's, the way that it works is uh, I could create uh, what they call guardians. I can create a guardian for... Um, my phone and e uh, my phone number and email address. That's like Guardian One. Uh, but I could give you one. I could give my parents one. Mm -hmm. um, and ultimately, as long as I have a, whatever it comes down to, like a little more than half of the guardians, then I can go recreate my wallet. So if I if my phone gets hacked, if my email gets hacked, um, I'm not out all of my money. I can go ahead and just lean okay. on a, another guardian that I've. That, that makes sense. So it's like a, an expanded multi-sig kind of thing where you yes, can... that's exactly what it is. It's like a yeah. kind of Horcrux style. Yeah. It always makes yeah. me laugh, though, when you see these projects where it's like, this is our founding mission. 
a quote from Vitalik Buterin. And it's just like, <laughs> wait, Vitalik's not involved in this shit. You were just He's listening to a podcast and he said, hey, this would yeah. be cool. And then you went, yeah, wouldn't that be cool? And I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's in, it's very inspirational, but it does make me laugh sometimes because it's like, I don't know. Our flagship was just a, it's like a side comment Vitalik made sometime in a meeting. Yeah, we need wide adoption of social recovery skills. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Wallace, that sounds pretty cool. This is a, I'd a be sign for of that. Approval you know, from some dear leader. <laughs> some Q and A session <laughs> clipped out of context. Uh, anyway, yeah. the final the final section here that we're going to talk about is asset management, um, mm-hmm. and so that. Uh, very similarly refers to just investing on the behalf of others. But like, you know, in particular, you think in, in CFI, you've got the, the vanguards, the black oh, rocks, yeah, I know uh, them. Blackstone, uh, you know, Retirement yeah, the, the, accounts. yeah, yep, exactly. And, uh, in DeFi, these alternatives would be something like yearn. Um, and so we've chatted about this a little bit, but yearn is essentially, uh, what it does under the hood. We talked a little bit earlier about Ave. We talked about um, like lending and borrowing. We've talked about a few different ways that you can earn in DeFi through uh, exchange uh, and AMMs. And what Ave, uh, what sorry, what Yearn does under the hood, it will take your USDC, it will take your uh, Ether, your wrapped Bitcoin, and it will move it around DeFi. Uh, and earn the highest possible interest in all of these different protocols. So um, this this solved a real problem for me last year when I was first learning about uh, like as as Compound released their comp token and yield farming kind of became a thing. Um, and you had suddenly the ability to like move your money around and earn in different protocols. Yearn automating this under the hood essentially creates what. I refer to as like the the high interest checking for DeFi. It, it is the layer of abstraction where I don't have to go out of my way to find someone at the bank who wants to borrow my money and, and like go meet them and, and make sure they're trustworthy. I can put my money in an account and Yearn can move that around and make sure that it's always optimizing for earning the highest interest in DeFi. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's kind of a, a good one to end on because it's really um, this like uh, culmination of a lot that has occurred of like all these different protocols. Um, another one within the asset management category is this one called token sets, um, and it essentially you know similarly allows you to um, create a a mechanism for being able to invest in a bunch of different uh, assets. Yeah, here we go. So um, if we look like at ETFs, the... basically, well, you know, metaverse index, look at that. AXS yeah. number one, baby. Hey, if we look at, I think DeFi pulse index will be relevant for this episode and then we'll do a whole metaverse episode. Um, but in this case, you're essentially, yeah, it's like an ETF. You have, um, you know, Uni Token, Ave, Maker, Compound, Synthetics, and, and like many more. Um, and it is a, this uh, fund where I don't necessarily like. I, I'm aware of DeFi. I know that there are all of these interesting protocols that are going on, and these protocols are moving in value constantly. And I, you know. I need to keep up with like what's cool and what's hot mm-hmm. with the DeFi Pulse Index token. Um, then you only need to um, worry about putting your money in the DeFi Pulse Index, and then it will move 
that money around to these different protocols and and gain exposure to whatever the mm. current you know new hotness is and, and those tokens change out constantly gotcha well, that's that's awesome i mean i'm not surprised but nice to see that somebody's conquered the uh, crypto etf market makes perfect sense yeah cool. so uh the the point i want to leave on before we get into the lightning round is why why were we capable uh we as the collective we uh, i often like to refer in this context uh why was it that that developers within the ethereum ecosystem were capable of essentially scrapping and recreating the entire financial system um within just a few short years. Like we've had Ethereum for whatever, 10 something, not less than 10, I guess, uh, years, but like even fewer, uh, most of these protocols didn't exist like two years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and what has allowed that sort of like incredible speed of innovation is this concept often referred to as money Legos, um, wearing my money Legos shirt. Uh, I love my themed shirts for episodes. Um, but this idea of money Legos is that um, what's different in DeFi than in CeFi is you have this system that everything is completely open. The code is open source. The execution environment uh, of Ethereum is, is open and everything is occurring in an audible way. Uh, these Protocols that exist are capable of leveraging off of each other uh, and building off of each other uh, in ways that just weren't physically possible given the closed uh, black box system in CFI. So what has occurred is this like absurdly explosive growth uh, to create this like global innovation space where anyone in the world can go, you know, take a couple building blocks from over here, take some building blocks from over here, mm -hmm. combine them, make this whole new thing. And now someone else can go take this whole new thing and like attach it to their thing. And suddenly the speed of, of all of this innovation is just, it's hard to even talk about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. There's like this this healthy level of copy pasting that can happen from a high level code perspective when everything's open source. So we're constantly in this perpetual brainstorm sort of session where anybody with a good idea can go, whoa, I really like what you did there. I'm going to take that and just tweak it like 5% and that's going to make it a little different. And sometimes those are just lame copycat clones, but sometimes that's like a next piece of the building block um, and that leads to the next big innovation. So it all starts to compound pretty damn fast. And uh, yeah, I mean, even like a few years from now, it's going to be amazing to see how far DeFi has come and uh, how much the tools can kind of replace some of this legacy stuff. But let's yeah, jump into some really, lightning round, man. Let's, uh, yeah, sorry, what we got? I, I was just going to say, it's, it's really the difference between linear and exponential innovation, where mm. in CeFi, we have this like slow linear growth that's been kind of hampered by, you know, having this absurdly old infrastructure underneath that's kind of like pulling everything down. It's hampered by the kind of regulation in, in the space that makes it very, very difficult to, to innovate and to do anything. And it's hampered by this general like competitive nature that exists where, you know, you can't open source your code in, in, in the legacy financial system. Um, 
it, not in the same ways that you can in DeFi. And so this this new alternative where you can, uh, with each of these protocols, by removing the middlemen from the protocols, there's no reason you can't just like start combining them and, and, and creating something that builds on top of many different protocols because you don't have to keep increasing the, the fee that the users, uh, that, that's like this extractive amount that is being taken from it because, mm -hmm. you know, there yeah. is none. Totally. Yes. So let's talk about the lightning um, round. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a, a great segue into the first question uh, about the DeFi protocol tokens. We talked about a number of different ones like Aave, even like Uniswap, SushiSwap. All of these have specific tokens that are used in some sort of a reward structure. Sometimes it has to do with liquidity and exchanges and you know all, all this kind of stuff. Um, are, are these tokens actually money? Is this like kind of cryptocurrency that we're supposed to send to each other? Like, am I ever going to send you uh, Uniswap tokens as a transaction for something? Or, or how, how do I uh, categorize these, these kind of tokens? Yeah, it's a good question. It's something that I hear often as a point of confusion for people outside the space that see all of these... They, they all have the, the label cryptocurrency and they are wondering why anyone would use any of these as a currency. And so, no, you, people don't think of these tokens as a medium of exchange. And, and kind of as a, at a, like to take a, a, an aside, I think the whole concept of even like the Bitcoins and the Ethers of the world um, aren't necessarily attempting to solve the medium of exchange use case of money. Um, and I think uh, just in the case of these protocol tokens, I think the differentiation and the term token is kind of important um, mm -hmm. because uh, th there are a lot that t that term is a lot more generalized. It's not trying to say that it's trying to be a money. It's not trying to say that uh, you know Ave is what you're going to use to go buy milk at the grocery store. Um, but instead, it is this tool and this mechanism to incentivize. Um, to incentivize user behavior within DeFi. Um, so in the case of these protocol tokens, what we'll see a lot of times is a team will build out a protocol without taking a cut, without taking a fee, but they still need to get paid at the end of the day. They need to be able to be incentivized to like continue building the protocol. Um, so they will issue a token, giving themselves a bit um, and in and use this token as kind of a tool to pay users of their protocol to um, incentivize liquidity to come over to their protocol um, and to uh, accrue value in a way that sort of acts similarly to stocks. So I think um, sure. I think that's that's maybe a closer model to how you might map um, our kind of understanding of existing of existing financial tools. To hmm. these tokens, they That's work a funny. little bit closer to to stocks. It, it's funny because so many people that I know think of like Ethereum is just another stock. Man, it's like no, not really. We have stocks on Ethereum that like. Ave is kind of another stock, man. Um, if that's the the way we want to go with this whole thing, Ethereum's that's a terrible analogy. I'm sorry. You can speculate yeah. on it, sort of as such, but. It's just so much more, man. O open up the jar and you're going to find a pile of gold inside of it if that's how you're looking at Ethereum. Yeah. And it's like, it's even, it's more than just stocks too. It's like, because mm -hmm. th these are programmable monies and you can earn them just by interacting with it, it'd be like, 
if you earned uh, Starbucks stock every time that you bought coffee, um, and that's illegal in CFI for whatever reason. Um, but it's like, you know, in, in DeFi, um, I think just with the ability to like upgrade these, I think what we're seeing now is only just kind of scratching the surface of of what in the future we'll we'll be capable of with these protocol tokens. Gotcha. Next question. Uh, where does DeFi live? We talked about a bunch of different protocols today. I, I know that you've you've looked at them in a browser, so I know that much. Um, I'm, my understanding is that you can use a tool, a browser extension called MetaMask. But like, what am I, where is this and yeah. what is this? Most of the stuff we talked about today is in the Ethereum ecosystem. So it's on that base layer, you know, the world computer, if you will. Um, but we're starting to see some of these scaling solutions, like the layer twos that we've talked about. Uh, Polygon is the really popular one. So a lot of these protocols uh, will work both on Ethereum and on Polygon. Uh, there are some other ones out there as well, like, as well, like Binance has the Binance Smart Chain. That's basically sort of a layer two kind of solution. Both uh, the Binance Smart Chain and Polygon are clones of Ethereum. So they communicate with Ethereum very well. Uh, they're way less congested and they're a lot more centralized, but the usability is way better. There's lower fees and they work a lot faster. So people are kind of willing to take this trade off because they're so closely linked to Ethereum that you know they have a usable value proposition right now while Ethereum gets closer to ETH 2.0, the staking, the higher efficiency network, all this kind of stuff. In the meantime, Polygon's got a great value proposition. What would cost you $3 to do on Ethereum with low gas prices to do something on Aave or one of these or Yearn or something might cost you a fraction of a penny on Polygon, virtually free. I mean, nobody's really sweating over you know, a, a couple of pennies that have been cut in half uh, you know, a couple hundred times. So um, yeah, they, they can exist in other places other than Ethereum, and we're seeing more and more adoption on these side chains. But for now, most things are, are at least starting on Ethereum and then building out from there. Although, as I say that, that's quickly changing as well. We're seeing more stuff launch, launched on uh, the Binance Smart Chain ecosystem, uh, for better or for worse, a lot of rug pulls over there. But uh, that's kind of a whole nother can of worms, I guess. Yeah, and I think we'll probably hit on some of this a bit more in the in the scaling episode coming up. Yeah, definitely. So where does Bitcoin fall in all of this? We've talked about DeFi. How does Bitcoin do with DeFi? Yeah, uh, not well. It <laughs> doesn't. <laughs> uh, so there's a few reasons. One, it has its own blockchain separate from Ethereum. It Its blockchain is not written in a language, in a programming language that is expressive enough to allow for smart contracts. So uh, what we have seen instead, uh, because you know there's a lot of people that hold Bitcoin and they're sitting from the sidelines watching this carnival of DeFi play out, um, many of which uh, are, are kind of seeing these, these interest rates going. Uh, uh, through the roof and, and kind of wondering what they can do with their Bitcoin. Uh, a, a few things. One, there, there are projects like Wrapped Bitcoin, which are, is essentially this like, cause my understanding is it's a custodial uh, solution where you hand your this company your Bitcoin, they hand you back a Wrapped Bitcoin that exists on the Ethereum network, and now you can go use it in sort of a, a way that you would like. And it's one-to-one -one collateralized? Yes, that's that's my understanding. Ah, I, okay. 
I haven't spent enough time learning about the specifics of it. But yeah, again, I mean, it's like false for all the same downsides of anything that's. Uh, I remember how Tether started. <laughs> uh, yes. So uh, other ones that are trying to build smart contracts on a layer above Bitcoin are Stacks and Sovereign. Uh, these are both attempts to introduce this additional layer, but still has the same trade-offs of uh, of a lot of these more centralized, more trust-requiring uh, solutions, and therefore haven't seen a ton of adoption. Similarly, uh, to to um, well, I would say you know, Wrapped Bitcoin has actually probably seen more adoption than a lot of this stuff, um, but uh, you know. Again, uh, Sovereign, uh, as one example of this, they uh, were recently on Twitter, like last month or something, they were caught lying about their total value locked uh, and, and inflating it by like 10x. Uh, oh. At, uh, so, um, a metric that is auditable by Where anyone. Where I come from, we call that fraud, <laughs> my man. <laughs> yeah and it's just like this is a this whole industry is built on this idea of like trust minimization mm. and when your company and your projects uh when its strategy is to, to like try to mislead people to get them to believe that your thing is more important and that your shit doesn't stink i that makes me less interested in your project so like you know i i I'm i wouldn't rooting. trust anyone's whose poops smell like sticky buns kevin run yeah i i, I wouldn't either <laughs> so i think i think of bitcoin as a like historically significant step for humanity to take on the journey toward uh open public blockchains and yeah. i do still see it as like it has secured its niche of a a store of value and a hedge against inflation of the US dollar and of fiat currencies in general. But it is pretty clear at this point that like it is uh it, it is not where things are going in terms of how DeFi is evolving. And if anything, it is being dragged along in the process. Um so I, I think of it, uh, it, there was a recent episode uh, of the What Bitcoin Did podcast with Eric Weinstein, where he explains a lot of the frustrations that I have with the Bitcoin community. Mm -hmm. uh, it, a it's podcast. a fun one. Yeah, it, it's a fun one to watch. Uh, he, he just kind of complains about uh, Bitcoin maximalists, like ignoring reality and... Um, you know, chanting their mantras and, and like uh, kind of putting their their hands over their eyes and and just I mean, saying that Bitcoin fixes this. My quick gut check: if you're a Bitcoin maxi and you're still calling Ethereum a shitcoin, I I I think you're lost. Like I I don't know what to tell you. I don't think there's anything that can be said that's going to bring you back to reality unless you want to open up your mind a little bit and and really look under the hood. I mean. Yeah, I yeah, you know, I don't like wish ill on Bitcoin, but I think that kind of an extreme take is just so far extreme within the crypto bubble. I I, I really don't even know how to start start approaching that. It, it makes conversations very very short and flat and yes. boring. Yes, <laughs> I'll say that much. There you go. Cool. Uh, all right. Yeah. Let's let's do maybe one more question. Okay. Um. So, uh, all right. We we've kind of talked about like where where DeFi is going. Uh, and we've talked about a lot of different projects in this. 
there there's so much going on in DeFi. How would I go about trying to figure out like where I want to point my focus? Because I mean, even me personally, all of the projects that we just talked through today, like I, I've played with them to some degree, but like yeah. there's just so much occurring. How do I figure out what I should care about? I, that is truly the million dollar question, right? Knowing the right protocols and the right coins is where you can get some some big gains, some bigger gains, and sometimes realize some losses as well. Um, you know, small anecdote. I know this has been a long episode already, but I was really excited to play the recent World of Warcraft Burning Crusade uh, launch uh, on WoW Classic, and. I played to like level 63 and kind of just lost interest. And as I was listening to my roommate grind hard, like his brother flew out. We had this whole land party. And like I was listening to them grind and really push it. Meanwhile, I was like moving coins around. I, I forget what I was, you know, into at the moment. But you know, you go down these rabbit holes and realize four hours just went by and I didn't even realize it. And I at that something clicked in that moment where I realized I'm not playing WoW because I'm busy playing the DeFi MMO. This is like a massively multiplayer online RPG in real time with real money. And it's like, what's the fun of World of Warcraft and half these other games that we play? It's the damn economy. We're, we're like as gamers, we're we're really primed for economies and min-maxing and we innately understand a lot of economic principles whether we can explain them or not we know how to thrive or at least keep our heads above water in those systems all things equal so like hearing people talk about like wow gold and how to maximize that economy now i think like well why don't you just do that with with cryptocurrencies and then you could make real money you know and and it, there, there's certainly some risk involved in all of that but it's just so deep. Um, yeah, there's not enough hours in the day. Uh, there's uh, make some friends. That's the best uh, best advice I, I can have. I think the best things that I've learned are conversations like this, talking to people. You know, you have a, a weekly roundup where you do a little research. Everybody does a little research, and at the end of the week, you exchange some notes and talk about the cool stuff that you learned. To me, that is the the most effective way to learn crypto. Uh, you, you can't like dive into DeFi all by yourself and figure all of it out, but you could learn a little bit. Someone else could learn a little bit and then you guys could exchange notes and uh, all be better for it. So that's my yeah. little build a community, start locally, think globally, Kevin. <laughs> yeah. I've been loving our, we've been doing weekend uh, discord voice chat, <clears throat> voice chats uh, in, in the Zyori discord. Um, all are welcome. And yeah, um, yeah, it's just a, a cool time to to hang out. We we hang out in the cryptocurrency channel there, uh, and then uh, jump into voice chat and talk about yeah what we learned about this week, what we are interested in, and you know the fact that it spans more than just these like kind of dry uh, like lending and borrowing protocols, and you get into stuff like axes where it's uh, like a fully a, a full appreciation of the gamification of DeFi, where you're yes. like okay nfts that you can yield farm with um and <laughs> it, it, just like the, the combination of all of these different ideas uh, and, and just like creating new forms of value uh from the, these like gamified uh like incentivizing uh users to to interact with your thing like that's mm -hmm. that there that's what makes right. it so hard that's what makes attention like the primary uh currency almost right like you you have such a limited amount of attention and, and time mm -hmm. that you can put into this figure out stuff that you like to to play with figure out stuff that you find fun and yeah i, I liked your point about just make some friends along the way because friends don't 
cut their value in by 40 percent in a day <laughs> yeah and if something does get cut like that who better than your friends to uh to console you and even if you do make it and you find some gains who better to celebrate with your buds right so it all comes first full circle and one thing i've learned very much maybe to round this one out kevin is that even though DeFi is very much about uh financial stuff and economics and these really big picture you know global impact we're building the infrastructure of tomorrow kind of stuff at its real core, it comes down to community, man. It comes down to people. We're all just people that interact with these systems. Um, and, and that community element is absolutely a huge point of DeFi, blockchain, and cryptocurrency at large. Couldn't have said it better myself. There you go. Well, maybe a good time to sign off, guys. Remember, none of this is financial advice, cryptocurrency, DeFi, all this stuff. It's risky. This is cutting edge. This is bleeding edge, brand new technology. We're here to educate you and help you try to decipher this wide world and unpack what's going on out there. Do your own research. Think, be smart, and only invest what you can afford to lose. Don't go all in. Don't mortgage the house. Don't do goofy, risky, all-in strategies. Play it smart. Do a little cost averaging. Play it safe. And uh, again, do your own research. That's huge. That's huge. All right. We're done. Kevin, always a pleasure. We'll catch you next time for episode 16. Folks, you know where to find us by now. We'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks, y'all. 